Welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. This episode that you will be listening to soon was adapted from my YouTube channel. So you might hear certain idiosyncrasies like me referring to it as a video or something else. So please do forgive those. But otherwise, I hope you do enjoy what's included in this episode. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. And in this brief conversation, I would just like to go over the introduction to Chandra Mohanty's Feminism Without Borders. I'm teaching this book this semester, but I thought if I could share some of these ideas, maybe they would be useful to a broader audience. And the introduction is really interesting because it lays down the groundwork for her argument in the book. Now, please do keep in mind that the book is an expanded engagement with an article that she had previously published and which was highly regarded and discussed and that is called Under Western Eyes. And I do have a recorded conversation on that in which we did a sort of a question-answer session on the article. But in the introduction to the book, after giving an account of her own lived experience coming from India, then living in the United States, and her own politics of feminism, one thing that obviously becomes clear is that for Mohanty, feminism has to be deeply political, right? It's a political act. She's not just necessarily talking about theoretical feminism, if any such thing exists or not. But on page three, she explains her vision, and I'm going to read a little. Here is a bare-bones description of my own feminist vision, and this is I think the most instructive passage in the introduction. She says, this is a vision of the world that is pro-sex and woman, a world where women and men are free to live creative lives, in security and with bodily health and integrity, where they are free to choose whom they love and whom they set up house with, and whether they want to have or not have children, a world where pleasure rather than just duty and drudgery determine our choices, where free and imaginative exploration of the mind is a fundamental right, a vision in which economic stability, ecological sustainability, racial equality, and the redistribution of wealth form the material basis of people's well-being. Finally, my vision is one in which democratic and socialist practices and institutions provide the conditions for public participation and decision-making for people regardless of economic and social location. So if you think slightly critically about this expression of her vision, you would realize that she has pretty much covered all major debates in feminism, but also in literary theory and politics. The question of the rights to choose what to do with our bodies, the question of redistribution of wealth in a way that our lives are not precarious, the question of living lives freely without someone telling us what to do or how to live. 
but there is a possibility of collective action because there is a hint at socialistic practices. So this vision kind of clarifies what to expect in the book and what to expect in her work. She also then goes on to emphasize that she will focus on a politics of solidarity. Okay, and what she explains by solidarity is is simply solidarity is when you and me come together without effacing our differences to fight a third party that is oppressive to us and that she does not aspire to an individualistic feminism but rather a kind of feminism which works in solidarity is pro-sex and pro-women is pro-social in, in a way and which also understands the inherent inequalities of the capitalistic way of life. Then on page six, she gives us the three problematic directions of U.S. feminism. The first one she calls is the careerist academic feminism. The second is the corporate corporate model or consumerist proto-capitalist feminism. And the final, the third one, is, is a critique of essentialist identity politics. So the first one is pretty clear. There is a, in this one, there is a gap between the academic feminist and activist feminist, and that's a problem because that gap needs to be filled. The proto-capitalist feminism, she's referring to all those arguments where labor is imagined, the household labor, the woman's rise in the corporate ladder and the, in the corporate world, right? And the idea that women should have equal access to high positions of power, but all that movement is imagined within the corporate model as if it itself is natural. And, and she finds that problematic. And then narrowing of feminist politics and theory whereby either exclusionary and self-serving understanding of identity rule the day, or identity is seen as unstable and thus merely strategic. So this question of not really relying on stable identities, which comes, of course, from postmodernism, but which then precludes feminists in developing larger solidarities. And that's in opposition to these three, what she is mobilizing it, the concept which she calls reflective solidarity, right? And what is that? That I reflect on my own condition. I know where you are coming from. We both think this is what is opposing us. So we say, I ask you to stand by me over and against a third. And so, based in, in these assumptions and her vision, what she's telling us that there are three major themes in the books that she will follow. Decolonization, anti-capitalist critique, and politics of solidarity. Now, the idea of decolonization she is taking from Fanon, right? And what she suggests is that in the process of explaining decolonization, what Fanon suggests is that a new kind of man emerges after the decolonial process, and that the decolonial process involves acts of agency in solidarity with others. It just does, doesn't just come to be. So there is a struggle but a new subjectivity emerges. So decolonizing 
feminism, Western feminism would then involve working in solidarity with the politics that is anti-capitalist in a sense that it's anti-neoliberal capitalist and we'll get into it when we read the book further and politics that works in solidarity with each other. So these are the three main concepts that are mobilized in the book. And then in the introduction, she discusses her understanding of what she means by decolonization. And then she talks about self-reflexive collective praxis in the transformation of the self, self-reconceptualization of identity and political mobilization. So this concept, self-reflexive collective praxis, the reason it's important is that it's not self-reflexivity that's focused on the self only. It's self-reflexive collective practice where we work in solidarity with others, where we know our own location, but we also know the location of our others who might be in solidarity with us and where we actively work, create those solidarities. To specify further, she says, while talking about anti-capitalist critique, it fundamentally entails a critique of the operation, discourse, and values of capitalism and their naturalization through neoliberal ideology and corporate culture. So it will have to be feminism, will have to be in solidarity, it will have to be self-reflexive but built in collectivity, but it will also focus on critiquing the neoliberal model of economics that exists right now and that creates our public and individual subjectivities. And then towards the end, she gives us an account of the chapters that are in the book. We'll get to that later when we discuss the chapters, but here is what is coming across in the introduction. She is already challenging certain strains of Western feminism, especially US feminism. She is deeply aware of, of the corporatization of universities, even corporatization of our thoughts, and that extreme form of individualism that emerges in neoliberal capital which is privileged. But this whole idea uh, also of destabilizing identities so we don't know where we are coming from. What she's doing is she's grounding us in the material world. She's suggesting that any form of feminism has to be political. It has to work in solidarity with others. It has to have some sort of critique of capitalism, especially neoliberal capitalism. and. It has to be linked with community and with the praxis in order to change the world. Now, the point of the whole book, of course, is to challenge certain generalized assumptions of Western feminism, especially US feminism, and then infuse it with the voices of third world or developing world feminists, post-colonial feminists. And I think that is where the book becomes extremely important and that is why it was considered and still considered one of the most important books in post-colonial feminism. So these are some of the ideas that I've gleaned from the introduction and I thought it would be good for you to keep in mind. I will be happy to answer any questions and this video primarily is for my students and they will get to ask me the questions in class but if you're watching this or listening to this, feel free to post a comment or suggest something more and I'll be happy to try to answer your questions. That's all. Thank you so much. 
See you next time. Until then, peace and love. Thank you.